Good morning. So good to see you all here this morning, to be able to worship together. Thank you. Um, once again, as Pastor Kyle said, thank you for um, adjusting your schedules with us somewhat on the fly over the last couple of weeks. Um, so good to see every one of you, and um, I hope that uh, maybe a few of you got here early because you still were planning on 1045. No, it's all right. You're here, and we're so glad. Um, I'm grateful just for, again, just the hospitality that you would show by accommodating us. Uh, you know, two weeks ago when we were here um, in worship, there was over 700 people um, on campus that Sunday morning, which um, many of you experience. That doesn't work. Uh, and so <laughs> we had to respond rather quickly um, by uh, addressing that and adjusting our service times. And so just want to uh, begin by saying how grateful um, we are just for your uh, flexibility and for doing that. And um, many of you are able to be here this morning and have a seat um, because uh, folks came earlier to 8 and 9.30. And so thank you to all uh, for being a part of that. I also want to just say a word of thanks, especially to uh, Matt and Kyle and our media team. Um, they've been up since uh, we early as in the morning before the sun came up, making sure that we could all be here together and, and you could hear me and we could sing and do all that we do. And they've done a great work over this past week. Our staff has done amazing work getting ready for this. Um, as Pastor Kyle alluded to, I, I do want to just highlight before we get to our text this morning, um, this celebration report that uh, you received. And we don't do um, a lot of stat keeping here at City Church. Um, it's uh, simply something that we don't put a lot of um, credibility in. Um, it's our mission, we say, is that we're a community of people growing in submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Well, how do you numerically quantify that we are growing together in submission to Christ? That's something that's really challenging to do. And so we don't have a lot of numbers that we reflect on, but the very top of that page um, is a celebration of baptisms, that we celebrated 40 people who came last year and testified to the work of Christ in their life. And that is a number that we track and we keep track of and that we celebrate um, and so we wanted to celebrate um, all that God did last year at the end of the year um, and throughout 2022 and um, those lives that were changed. And we look forward to more of those. Um, at the same time, uh, that's made possible through uh, giving and through resources. <clears throat> I just alluded to this. Our team is amazing. Um, when I think about the life of our church and just my role here and uh, what a blessing it is to serve as one of the pastors here, I look at our team and uh, we have an amazing team of people. We have an amazing staff. Uh, we have an amazing team of volunteers who serve in kids and littles and all the things that uh, Kyle referenced in the welcome. Um, there really is nothing that is not possible that God could call us to do that I don't trust that our team, from elders to uh, volunteers, could make possible. It's really a beautiful thing. In our church, God is moving, and I'm so thankful that I get to be a part of it. The only time that I personally ever feel any bit of constraint around that is having the resources to do some of the things that we feel that we need to do. Um, and so we asked uh, at the end of last year, um, for those of you that were a part of our church at that time, to just consider, could you make a gift, a sacrificial gift, a, uh, a out of generosity to just propel us forward into this year? And so um, you did that. And so we wanted to celebrate. We wanted to acknowledge that we asked that you would consider, and so many of you gave, uh, so that we start this year off 
uh, feeling just a little bit more secure in the ability in terms of resourcing those things that we can take on, from church planting to caring for our staff that desperately needs more care than we are currently able to provide them, uh, to um, all the other work that, is, that we will engage in. Uh, we wanted to celebrate that. Guess you'll notice that we didn't pass a plate this morning and we don't pass a plate here at City Church. It's because we don't want money or asking for money or resources to hinder your experience and maybe you might miss hearing the gospel if, the, if somehow you'd get distracted by that. And so we don't do that. Um, that also is rooted in the belief that the church is responsible for providing for the ministry. It's believers in Christ who are those. And so we trusted as guests, perhaps you might not be a follower of Jesus, or maybe you're just looking at this church, um, sort of visiting, uh, peering in. And so we just never want that to be a hindrance to you. That's why you don't hear us talk about that. But for those of you who are a part of this church family, we want to just say thank you and celebrate your faithfulness, your obedience to steward your resources And uh, I'm excited about the year ahead because of your giving, and that is what will propel us on. So, that said, let's turn to 1 John, which is what we are all about, the Word of God. Um, 1 John chapter 3. I expect maybe a few of you um, were thinking to yourself, you know, he started that series in 1 John, and then he just sort of stopped. I wonder if he'll ever finish that. And so, we're picking back up. We ended at the sort of middle of 1 John chapter 3 in verse 10, and we're going to pick up this morning in verse 11, and we will continue this just a few more weeks in 1 John. If you want to forecast out, if you're one of those planners, um, I can't give you a date, but here in the next few weeks, and I use that word few very intentionally, um, in the next few weeks, we'll start a study in the book of Acts. That's the next book that we will study if you want to read ahead, um, if, uh, if you feel like that would be something that would bless you um, to get ahead of that. But as we Look at 1 John. When we last left off, verse 10, we close with this verse. This is uh, John's letter to the churches. It says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So John ends that section, or we wrapped up there. He doesn't end, but we pause there with that line, nor is the one who does not love his brother. This emphasis on loving others and loving specifically the brothers, those fellow believers, Christians that were in the church. And so we're going to pick up there as we pick up in verse 11, this theme of loving one another. Just as a quick recap, if you weren't with us prior to the start of this message or as we began this sermon series, the letter of 1 John is written to the church in the midst of some false teachers who've come into the church, and I would summarize what they're teaching in this way. This is sort of just a simple way of saying this, but it doesn't matter how you live. These false teachers were trying to convince believers, Christians, that it didn't matter how they lived their lives. Because of what Christ had done, they were either the grace is sufficient, we hear that argument sometimes, Paul says no, we shouldn't sin all the more just because we have grace, or they were saying that it didn't matter, there's nothing that could ever lead us into a holiness in our own flesh because they believed flesh was just all evil, and so it didn't matter what you did, no matter what you do, you're still going to be evil, so in a sense, why even try? John is writing this letter to confront that and say, no, 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 it matters very much how we live. There is a clear responsibility for believers to live in such a way, and the central theme of this letter is that it matters how, how we live, and how we live, we are supposed to, we are called to live for, in love for one another. This love for one another propels us and is a witness and is an apologetic, as I'll say in just a few moments. 
So would you stand with me as I read from God's word, just out of reverence for God's word, picking up in verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees, him, sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth, and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is the commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. You may be seated. Lord Jesus, we ask for your help that you would use our time together to encourage and shape us so we might look more like you. We give you glory and honor and praise for the love that you have shown us as you laid down your life for us. I pray that every soul in this room might know the depth of your love for them. If there is anyone who doubts that love, perhaps this morning, may they believe. Would you move in their lives in such a way that they would know that they know your great love for them. And would you call those of us who are called by your name to live according to your word, to the commandment that you gave us, to love well. Help us in this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So John says in verse 10 that if we are called children of God, then we would love, and if we are children of the devil, then we will practice unrighteousness. And he just gives us this two contrasts and tells us that we are those who love. And then he begins here in verse 11, he says, this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. He's essentially saying to them, don't think of this as some new message. Again, you have this churches that have existed, they're receiving this letter. This letter would have been sent around to sort of an area of churches, sort of a community of churches passed around. And he's saying to them, hey, you might be hearing some false teaching. Remember the message that you have heard from the beginning. This is not some new message. Christians, brothers and sisters, you have been told from the beginning that we are to love. We go all the way back to Matthew chapter 22 where Jesus says he gives us the two commandments, the two commandments that we are called to live according to. As he's bringing in and he's ushered in the kingdom, he says that we should love God, essentially love God and love your neighbor as yourself, Matthew 22. Love God and love others. That is who we are called to be. That is his commandment that he has given us from the beginning. If we fast forward to John chapter 13, Jesus is now ending his earthly ministry. He's about to go to the cross. He's in the upper room speaking to his disciples, and he tells them, this is how they will know you are my disciples, by the way you love one another. 
So we can't act, and John is telling us, we can't act as if this is some new message or some new idea or something that is sort of out, you know, out of left field, like, oh, now he's telling us to love one another. No, 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 no. We have been told from the beginning there has been one singular theme and message, love God, love others. And Paul, or John, excuse me, is emphasizing this message to love one another. This is how we are to live. But he also realizes that there is a challenge that exists there. This is why he references Cain beginning in verse 12. We should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. So we are not, we have been called to love from the beginning. But he also realizes there is this other way of living, the way of hate. And we must not be people who follow the way of hate. He's confronting this teaching that it doesn't matter how we live and because of how, if it doesn't matter how we live, then perhaps we can just do anything we want, which is there's gonna be people that we dislike. There's gonna be people that hurt us. There's gonna be people that do things against us that we want to react in a certain way. And so we can very easily be tempted down the way of hate. And this is why he uses Cain as the example because Cain murdered his brother. And what caused him to murder his brother? Because he saw that his life was considered righteous and he saw in the face of that righteousness his own evil. And ultimately, he says, it's because he hated him. Do not be surprised at verse 13, brothers, that the world hates you. There's hate. Verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. See, the way of hate leads us down a path that does not elevate Christ. And ultimately, what are we here to do to bring glory to Christ's name? We have to speak and we have to live in such a way that we remember the beginning, what we have been taught from the beginning, which is to love one another. I'm going to put this on the screen. I don't really like quoting myself. I feel a little bit awkward doing that, quite honestly, but I wanted you to just see this as I was preparing for this text. All right, this is my message to you, but it is true. One of the most countercultural things that we can do is to not allow ourselves to fall into the way of hate. We always think about how we are going to live, and if we look out in the world, I don't know if you've seen this lately or felt this lately, but the world is full of anger, full of hatred. There's constant just turmoil and angst within the culture. Well, one of the most countercultural things we can do is not allow ourselves to follow the way of the world. This is, as I said, is a great apologetic to a world that hates us. A world that hates us, our great apologetic, our great testimony to who God is, is that in spite of that, we still love. We can't follow the way of hate. As John is addressing this, he starts with Cain and using him as an example and says that that ultimately leads to murder. Now, some of you are thinking to yourself, well, wait a second, how are hate and murder connected? Well, I'll take you to one of my favorite books, Mortification of Sin, written by a man named John Owen long, long ago. He's long been dead. But in that book, Mortification of Sin, which is simply a way of saying kill sin. You've heard me say in this church before, if you've been around, be killing sin or it be killing you. That's from that book. Well, John expresses this and he sort of supports what John the apostle is teaching us in this letter, that sin aims always at the utmost. Every time it rises up to tempt or entice, might it have its own course, it would go to the utmost of its kind. Here's what that means. 
John references Cain and his murder. Cain's murder didn't start with just this idea to murder. I don't know if this is like you, but when I was a kid, I'd hear the Ten Commandments, I'd be in Sunday school, and they'd be saying, thou shalt not murder. I'd be like, yeah, I'm not real worried about murder. That's, that's not really my thing. I don't think that I, like, I don't feel any temptation to murder. My little brother every now and again, but that, like, it was very fleeting, and it wasn't real murder. It was just kind of wanted to make him feel pain for a few moments. I don't start at murder. And John is illustrating that point through this message, through this text. No, Cain didn't start with murder. Why did he murder his brother? Because he hated him. And if we look further down, just a little bit, the effects of this sinful behavior that John Owen illustrates is true. He says in verse 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. I'll come back to that in a moment. But, he says in verse 17, if anyone has the world's goods, you've seen this love laying down your life, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? He essentially says, if you say you have love and yet you have the ability to meet the needs of others and you just completely look past them, that's indifference. So I might not feel like when I hear the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not murder, I might not feel like that's a problem for me. But do you know what is a problem for me? Indifference. I see the needs of others and so often, selfishly, I think I'm just not in a place to meet those. That happens to me. I fall into that trap. See, John Owen's message to us, picking up on this truth is, sin will have its way. Left unchecked, it will always go to the utmost. So what began as indifference can lead to hatred. And from indifference to hatred, then hatred will lead to murder. If sin goes unchecked, it's going to just continue to grow in us. We don't start out just thinking most of the time. We don't go straight to adultery. It begins with lust, lust left unchecked. As John Owen would say, sin's going to go to the utmost. Wherever it begins, it's just going to escalate and escalate and escalate. Left unchecked, sin will just continue to grow in our hearts and multiply and strengthen and take us down. This is how, what happens to us. This is the problem of sin in our lives. And so we must not be people who follow the way of hate because as we do that, that is what grows in us and ultimately Perhaps not murder, but as the Apostle John says, it leads to a path of destruction. It leads to these deep sins. Before Cain murdered Abel, he hated him. Before we engage in something, there's sins that lie underneath that. And we must not follow that way. There's also another way that we see here that is illustrated for us beginning in verse 14, and then, as I just read, in 16 as well. Counter to the way of hate is the way of Christ. We can't follow the way of hate. We must follow the way of Christ. And look what John says about those of us in Christ and how we are to follow him. First, in verse 14, he says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. But we know... We have confidence because of Christ that we have passed out of death into life and it's because of our love. 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. You know, so often that text is used 
to describe and attribute honor to military members, those first responders, and there's nothing wrong necessarily with that, but we need to get the context of this right. Verse 16 is about Jesus. It's not about any of us. It's about Jesus. By this we know love. We are able to comprehend We are able to understand it. We're able to see it. We're able to experience it. How? In that he laid down his life for us. That is the most loving thing that has ever happened in the history of the world, is that the God of the universe would take on flesh and come to live amongst us so that he could go to the cross to lay down his life for us. And we know that that is true. If we're in Christ, we know that. And see, this is how we get to the way of love. Rather, and this isn't a perfect illustration because there's this, this, if I had to draw a road here, it'd be more like this. It'd be like the high five. But if I was following a road to illustrate this, what can start sometimes as that level of indifference, do you know what stops it from following the Owen path of just turning into murder? It's we remember Christ's love for us. We remember the cross. And when we remember the cross, it turns our hearts to remember and reflect on what Christ has done for us. And rather than that indifference growing and multiplying into other sins and deeper sins and more besetting sins, it turns and we remember Jesus and we remember his love for us. And when we remember his love, I don't know about you, I am compelled to love others. When I am most distracted and most selfish and most thinking about myself, that's when I am tempted more often than not to disregard other people. But when I am reflecting on and considering verse 16, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us. When I'm reflecting on Ryan, he laid down his life for you. That is when I love well. That's when I follow Jesus. I look more like Jesus to the world, even a world that might hate me for doing so. Look at these three verses. We know very well John 3.16. Even the football players know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but would have eternal life. God so loved the world that he sent his son to redeem it, to make it whole. In 1 John 3.16, one that we don't always remember as well, this is how that love was articulated. This is how that love was displayed, that he laid down his life for us. And we know because of the way that Jesus laid down his life for us that we also ought to be people who lay down our lives for others. But I love this last one again, John 13. We're in the upper room. Jesus is about to say goodbye to his disciples and go to the cross. Before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from the world and to the Father, having loved his own, having loved them who were in the world, what does it say? He loved them to the end. He knew where he was going and he loved them to the end. He never stopped loving. He was about to be put on a cross and he never stopped loving. For God so loved the world that he would lay down his life for you so that he could secure for you a future that you had no ability or capacity to secure on your own. This is love. That's the picture of it. That's what it looks like. And so if we wonder, how is it that we're supposed to follow? It's not the way of hatred. That's not how we live. No, we follow the way of Christ. The way of Jesus is love. And this is how we live in a world that is very broken. You know, we saw this, a picture of this in somewhat in the most recent recent news cycle. Some of you might be familiar with Coach Tony Dungy. 
a great man of faith. He's a follower of Jesus. He's been a follower of Jesus for as long as I've known him. He's written very publicly about his faith. He's got many stories about his faith and his family's faith. And um, he's, he's done a lot of work through his platform as a football coach. He started a program called All Pro Dads to promote um, dads and help dads learn how to lead their children that's in public school system. He uh, does a lot for uh, standing for life. And this last weekend, we had the March for Life in D.C. where people gather to just rally around the cause of, of pushing back against the darkness of abortion and standing for life. And Tony Dungy, along with many other people, attended that. Millions of people attended that. And he stood up and he, he, he proclaimed a message of standing for life. Well, of course, as the world will do, I don't know if you've noticed this, but the world doesn't like a lot of things that Christians do. They attacked him. There were people in his own uh, sort of circle of life within the media, his own peer group that said he shouldn't even be on the air yesterday. Saturday is when he's on on the air broadcasting uh, television or football games. They called for his removal and, and they attacked him. And how did Coach Dungy respond? In the same way, rooted in the same thing that would propel him to stand for the unborn, he responded with graciousness and love. He didn't follow the way of hate. He didn't come on the offensive and attack. His Twitter account didn't blow up, blowing up all those who were blowing him up. He understood the reality that he was going to be hated for that, and he responded in love. Verse 13, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. They hate you because of your righteousness, because of the testimony of of God at work in your life, and it's a confrontational message to those who are not following Jesus. We shouldn't be shocked by that. What the world should be shocked by is our ability to love them in spite of their hatred towards us. We should, the world should be so confronted, almost not able to understand it, reconcile it, and so often this is true. The love of Christians for those who would persecute them and hate them. This is the way of Christ. John is instructing the church to love one another as a testimony of what Christ has done, as a demonstration of what Christ has done, recognizing that we did not deserve Christ's love and yet he laid down his life for us and so our lives become a living testimony of Jesus to a world that desperately needs him. But there's also something else at work here as he gets to beginning in verse 19. This love that we live with is also a bit of a security blanket for us. It's a help to us. It encourages us. Because the way of following Christ, it steadies our unsure hearts. Look what he says in verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Have you ever found yourself doubting God's love for you? You ever lay down your head at night sort of reflecting perhaps on the day's events that were sort of preceded you and think, yeah, there's no way. I I completely messed that up. Surely God is going to condemn me for that. Surely there's no way that, 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 that God could love me knowing this situation that's happening in my life. Have you ever had those doubts? Have you ever wondered how it's possible that God would love you? Maybe I'm alone in that. I don't see a lot of nodding heads. I'm so grateful for all of you. But I'm just going to confess that there's times in my life where I sometimes wrestle with that. I'm like, Lord, you know the sinfulness of my heart. You know the pride that I wrestle with. You know how fickle I am and how how quick and prone to wander as we so often sing. You know all these things about me. How is it that you love me? 
How can I be sure of that? Well, John says, by this we shall know that we are of the truth, that we are of Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, and reassure our hearts before him as we love. Because why? Verse 20, for whenever our heart condemns us, our hearts, whenever we're tempted to think maybe this couldn't be true for us, and we begin to condemn ourselves, we're reminded that God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. I'm reminded when I love in the way that Christ has called me to love, that that is an overflow of Christ's love for me and what he has done for me. And as I am thinking through that and processing through, as I love those, even those who might hate me or stand against me, as I love you, as we love one another, I am reminded that, yes, this is all because of Jesus. And my heart might condemn me, but here's the good news. God sees greater. God is greater than our own hearts and he knows everything. He knows the condition of our hearts. See, it's my behavior that sometimes can tempt me to think maybe it's not true that God could love me. Maybe I've messed this thing up too much. On the other side is a sovereign God who knows my heart and guess what he knows about my heart? He knows that my heart is fickle. He knows that my heart is prone to wonder. He knows that my heart is sinful. He knows all of those things about me and he also knows that he sent his son to redeem that broken heart and to raise that heart to life and that that cannot be changed by my circumstances. It can't be changed by what I've done and so the love that I am able to display and the love that I live with as I walk in love, I reassure my own heart that I'm walking in the truth. My heart is reassured of Christ's love for me. My heart is reassured of what he has done for me. See, loving others and loving well is not just a message to the world, but it is what, it has an impact on us. That indifference that leads to hate, that can lead to murder, left unchecked. And we stop and we put the cross in front of us and we start to love well. We are reassured of our own salvation. We are reassured of Christ's love for us because we see evidence of Christ at work in us. This is why I tell you all the time, it's such a joy to get to serve as one of the pastors of this church because I look around and I see the love of Christ that you have for one another and the love of Christ at work in and through you and it is a beautiful thing and it reassures me where I could have all sorts of doubts as I look out in the world. If I just scrolled Twitter all day, I would be very hopeless, I'll just tell you. I would have no hope in the world. I'd be like, this, this place is messed up. But no, because I see the way that Jesus' people Followers of Christ love. I'm reassured again of my own soul and of those that I'm surrounded by. So it's good for us to love. It helps us to continue to walk in love as we love well. Finally, verse 23, John gives another assurance that we get from this way of living, following the way of love. He says, and this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. He's given us this commandment, and it's our faith in Christ and what he has done that gives us confidence. It's that faith in him that gives us confidence, but also not just our faith in believing in the name of Jesus, but also loving like him. Notice what it says, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. 
Our faith gives us confidence before God as well as our love gives us confidence before God. Where there are doubts, where those insecurities so often sort of bubble up in us, we can have confidence. Brothers and sisters, I want you to have confidence, not in yourselves, but I want you to have confidence in what Christ has done for you. And John's word to us is, we will gain confidence as we profess our faith in Jesus and as we love as Jesus has called us to love. We will grow. We will be strengthened by that love. We will be strengthened in our faith as we live that out. I shared the quote from John Owen. It says that sin left unchecked will ultimately lead to whatever the utmost, whatever the end of that line might be, using the example of Cain, from hatred to murder. Well, there's another line, the way of Christ, that leads to the utmost. And I'll remind you from our study in Hebrews, some of you were with us a number of months ago when we walked through the book of Hebrews, but Hebrews 7.25, a beautiful promise. Consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Sin, left unchecked, will lead to the utmost of whatever that sin is. Jesus, because of his great love for us, is able to save to the uttermost. He has loved us to the end. He will see us through to the end. That is his love for us. We can have hope in that love. And we are called, compelled as we reflect on his love towards us to be people who love like Jesus did. So let us, little children, not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Let us lay down our lives for others, not for our glory, but for his glory alone. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m., and we look forward to meeting you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God, the good of the city, and the hope of the world.